Hello, my friends, and welcome to worship for February 13th of 2022. Welcome to Carmen United Church. I am the pastor here, Reverend Nick Phillips, and I welcome you wherever you are from. Just a couple quick announcements before we begin our service. Uh, The Carmen Council, we met on Tuesday evening of this past week, and we are very pleased to say that we will reopen for in-person worship pending public health guidelines, which look like to be okay now. But on March 6th, we will return to in-person worship here at Carmen United Church at 11 a.m. We are very excited to come back together. Uh, Until then, we will remain online. So for the rest of February, the next couple of weeks, our services will remain online, which, of course, you're finding on our website. We also decided that our annual meeting will be held April 24th. Uh, That gives us plenty of time to, to open up guidelines even more, restrictions even more so that we can gather as a community to have our annual meeting. I want to provide a a quick financial update. We ended 2021 in good shape. We had roughly $5,000 in our bank account. However, uh, January is always a time for heavy bills for us with oil and uh, insurance and all these things that come out at the start of the year. So at the end of January... Uh, We had spent all of that $5,000, and we still have bills left to pay. So I just want to encourage you to remember the church in your your weekly or monthly giving so that we can continue to maintain the church, to keep it open, and to provide uh, services. So please remember us as you're able to give. And you can give through our website. You can drop your check off to Joyce, or you can donate through e-transfer. All of that information is on our website. If you need anything, do not hesitate to give me a call. Uh, I would love to hear from you, no matter the cause. Uh, I am here for you, so please, please call me if anything comes up. And of course, sign up for our newsletter if you're not already receiving it. If you think you've signed up and are not seeing it, make sure you check your spam folder just in case it ends up there. But that's all the announcements I have for this week. Uh, Let's just take a moment now to silence our hearts as we prepare to worship our God.
Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Esther, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And it reads, Now there was a Jew in the citadel of Susa, whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with King Jeconiah of Judah, whom King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had carried away. Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his cousin, for she had neither father nor mother. The girl was fair and beautiful, and when her mother and father died, Mordecai adopted her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in the citadel of Susa in the custody of Haggai, Esther was also taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. The girl pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with cosmetic treatment and her portion of food, and with seven chosen maids from the king's palace, and advanced her and her maids to the best place in the harem. Esther did not reveal her people or kindred, for Mordecai had charged her not to tell. Every day Mordecai would walk around in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Almighty God, protector of the weak and lowly, watch over all your children. Watch over us and inspire us with your word. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You who are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Television has changed a lot over the last number of decades. I remember the 80s and the 90s and must-see television. It was almost like you didn't want to be out of the house on those nights because you didn't want to miss what was going on in these shows. You, know, you didn't want to miss being left out of the conversations at work the next day or at school. You never knew what was going to happen. But now, programming has changed. How we watch TV has changed. First, it was the digital video recorders, the PVRs, and now it's streaming services. And shows are, are binged that we sit and we watch as many as episodes as we can over the course of a day, maybe. Or we can simply watch an episode or two here or there whenever we have a half hour or an, half hour, or an hour of time. And network television, which was once the breeding ground for all these excellent shows that we were just hooked on, um, they have now reduced themselves to simply producing more and more reality television. They do this because it's much cheaper to produce than traditional television. So we end up with things like singing shows and, and dancing shows and various islands and houses full of people. And, and let's not forget the find yourself a spouse type shows. Now, I don't watch a lot of reality television. I might start out with some of the talent shows just to see what's happening, the singing ones or whatever. But it's not very often I watch them all the way through to see who the winner was. As for those island shows or houses or, or, or dating shows, I can't quite bring myself to watch them. Uh, the, the commercials are, are all about the drama and the manipulation that happens just to, as these contestants seek to make their way to the top. Those are the shows I think about when we read through the book of Esther, as particularly around what we read just now. Esther is yet another amazing story of a heroic woman in the Bible. Esther is still celebrated today in a Jewish festival known as Purim. And I'll say a little bit more about that later. But to set the stage for our look into Esther's life, we need to revisit chapter one of the book that carries her name. In the book of Esther, we've entered into the kingdom of King Ahasuerus. Or your Bible may actually translate his name to Xerxes. Ahasuerus had a huge kingdom during his reign. He's also a man who wielded great power over his people. Three years into his reign as king, he had a party. A party for all the dignitaries and important people of the nation. And it lasted six months. For the last week of the party, he opened up the palace to the general public so that they could come in and eat and drink and celebrate with him whatever it was they were celebrating. We aren't sure. And Queen Vashti, his wife, she was in charge of being the entertainment, the host uh, for all the women who were coming into the palace. So again, we don't know what the celebration is for. There's very uh, various speculation as to what it was, but at the end of it, during that last week when the general public was around, in his drunken merriment, Ahasuerus commanded his servants to bring Queen Vashti into 
before him so that he can show her off to his guests, his male guests. Now, Queen Vashti, for whatever reason, chose not to submit to the king, to, to be his trophy wife, to show off. This angered the king, and he decided to punish her for disobeying him, for her rebellion, and she was banished from his presence. And afterwards, a decree was sent out to the entire nation, to all people, that women will honor their husbands and that men will be the head of their household. After all of this, King Ahasuerus needed a new queen. So his servants went out into the land and brought in all the beautiful virgins and brought them back in. The one is, it is decided that the one who pleases the king the most would become the next queen. This is the part that reminds me of those dating reality shows where this, an individual works cunningly and with great manipulation to win the favor of the person who's seeking a wife or a, or a date. This is what I think of when I think of this harem that was created with all the young virgins who needed to please the, queen, the king. Now within the capital city of Susa, there's a Jewish man living there by the name of Mordecai. He had adopted his cousin Esther after her parents had died. We are told she is beautiful, and we can assume she was probably around 12 years old. Now Esther got caught up in this gathering of the beautiful virgins and taken into the palace to see if she's worthy enough to become queen. As part of her training, she received a full year of cosmetic treatments and, and special diets in preparation for her encounter with the king. And she told, we're told she was well-liked by those who were in charge of the harem. Now every day, Mordecai would come and walk by the harem to see how Esther was doing. But Mordecai had warned her not to tell anyone she was Jewish. He, he, he would not help her at all. And so she told no one. When it is Esther's turn to go see the king, where she and all the other virgins would spend the night, she seemed to do the right things because the, queen, the king took great pleasure in her and made her his queen. Esther is very passive. She was taken by Mordecai when her parents died. From there, she was taken to the palace as part of a harem for the king. She followed all she was told to do, even to the point where she listened to her handlers about what to take with her when she went to please the king. She's passive, she's obedient, she's humble. And through this, finds her way to be queen of the great nation under Ahasuerus. One day, while Mordecai is sitting at the city gate, he overhears a couple of the king's servants talking about how they are going to assassinate Ahasuerus. Now, Mordecai is, sh shares this plan that he's found out with Esther. And then she goes on to warn Ahasuerus. And once the investigation is completed, it is found that these two servants indeed plan to execute the king, and they themselves were hung for treason. At the end of this ordeal, 
King Ahasuerus promoted a man by the name of Haman to be his top official to watch over the things in the kingdom. Haman took great pride in his role and he demanded that everyone bow before him as the king said they should. Mordecai would not bow before Haman simply because he said, because he was Jewish. He would not bow before anyone else. This upset Haman greatly to the point where he convinced the king to put out a decree by his hand, by Haman's hand. And the decree was that on the 13th day of the 12th month, all Jewish citizens of the entire kingdom of Ahasuerus would be killed. All of this planning took place back in the first month of the year. Now, obviously, this is upsetting for all the Jewish people in the nation. And Mordecai himself wore sackcloth and ashes to show his mourning, his anguish over what was decreed from the king and what was going to come of his people. Esther's servants observed Mordecai and his state of mourning, his wailing and everything, and they told Esther what was going on. Yet Esther did not know about the decree that had come at the hand of the king by, May, by Haman. But Mordecai could not come into the palace to tell her because he was dressed in sackcloth. He was not fit to enter the palace. So he told her servants what was going on, as well as gave them a copy of the decree in what, in, to, just to indicate what was upsetting him so much and so he could let Esther know. Esther was shocked by the news and sent message back to Mordecai. Gather all the Jewish people in the city and fast. No food, no drink for three days. And she and her maids would do the same. And then she says these words in chapter 4, verse 16. She says, After that I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. We've just seen a shift in the character of Esther. No longer the passive, submissive, obedient child, she has grown into a woman who is willing to take a risk. She knows that no one, absolutely no one, may enter the presence of the king without first being summoned. To do so is to risk her own life. Not just her position as queen, but her actual life. And she feels a bit of an additional risk because the king hasn't even asked for her in a month. She may feel that she's been losing favor with the king, maybe to a younger girl in his harem. Who knows? At the end of the three days of fasting, Esther summons up the courage to go before the king dressed in her royal robes to try and save her people. Now, when the king sees her at, her, at his door, he lets her come in. He summons her in and asks what it is she wants from him. No matter how big, no matter how small, she will have it, even if she asks for half of his kingdom. And this is where we get a bit of a surprise. Esther doesn't mention anything about her people at all. All she does when she goes into his presence is to invite him to a banquet she has prepared that day. And she's to, he is to come with Haman. 
Now, at the dinner, when Haman and the king shows up, after they have eaten, the king again asks what she wants, and she will have it, even if it is half of his kingdom. Now, surely this is where Esther will ask for the king to save her people. But what does she do? She invites them both back for dinner tomorrow. One has to wonder what it is she's up to. Why has she delayed? Why hasn't she asked to save her people? Surely that's got to be something that's very urgent on her mind. After the dinner later that day, Haman is still fuming that Mordecai will not bow before him. He doesn't like this disrespect at all. And he plans to have Mordecai killed on a special gallows, a humongous gallows that uh, that Haman is having made. That night, the king himself could not sleep, so he reads some of his more recent decrees just to kind of put him in a good mood. And he read of how Mordecai was the one who alerted the, uh, the palace of the pending assassination attempt. And he realizes Mordecai has not been celebrated for this, uh, for this. He commands Haman to dress him in robes and parade him around on the royal horse. Obviously, this humiliates Haman even more. And he ends up hanging his head in shame as he hurries home, still just fuming in anger towards Mordecai. When the next dinner comes, the second feast with, king, with the king and Haman, the king once again asks Esther what it is you want. You will have it, even if it's half my kingdom. And now she makes her plea. She says that she and her people have been sold into destruction. The king wants to know who did this. And she points out Haman as the one who made the decree on the king's behalf, unbeknownst to him. The king gets up and leaves in a rage over what Haman has done. Now Haman knows he is in huge trouble right now, and he stays behind to beg for mercy from Esther while the king plots what to do with Haman. And with this, the growth of Esther is complete. No longer the shy, obedient, submissive child. She is a strong woman who risked her life to save her people. But more than that, she put into place her own plan to expose Haman for who he really is before the king in order to save her people the only way she could see how. That is to remove Haman from his position and to have him put to death. Now, ironically, King Ahasuerus orders Haman to be hung from the very gallows he built for Mordecai. And afterwards, Mordecai is promoted to take care of the things that Haman was in charge of. In other words, to be the king's right-hand man. But there is another problem. Because the order that was put up by Haman came out in the name of a king's decree There is nothing they could do to change it. That was the law. It could not be changed. So Mordecai and Esther put their heads together to see what what they could possibly come up with to salvage the situation, to 
avoid the massacre that was to come. And what they came up with is the plan that would allow the Jews to arm themselves and defend their own lives on the day of the massacre. And so on the 13th day of the 12th month, they did just that. The Jewish people defended themselves, killing 75,000 who, who hated them so much they were willing to kill them. This has included the 10 sons of Haman, along with 200 others in the capital city of Susa. After all this happens, Queen Esther decrees and initiates the, the festival of Purim, a festival still celebrated today as Jewish people around the world recite her story, the story of Esther, the woman who saved her people. Now, when you look at the book of Esther, there is no mention of God at all anywhere in the entire book. The closest we would get is when Esther commands that Mordecai gather people to fast for three days. But even then, there's nothing said about prayer, which is often what you connect fasting with, fasting and prayer. Now, we might assume that it was implied, but there's no actual mention of God in this book. Yet, as we read through the story of Esther, I believe, and many others as well, we can see how God weaved in and through the life of Esther and all of her story. Esther as a child was an object, a, a toy. She was young and beautiful, so her cousin Mordecai took her in. She was young and beautiful, so the king's servants took her in to the harem. She was young and beautiful, so the king took her in to be queen after having his way with her one night. In many ways, Esther could have easily been the story of a child living in trauma, of being used and abused by the men in her life. Yet somehow, it seems God protected her. God had another plan for her. He surrounded her with people who took care of her and loved her including the servants in the harem, her maids, and Mordecai. Now, even though she was married to the tyrant of a king, God raised her up to be a strong and powerful woman who was willing to make difficult decisions in order to save her people. She was willing to risk her life by approaching the king without first being summoned. She was willing to risk her life toying with the king in many ways by putting off answering his questions about what she wanted from him. Instead, she just fed him with food and wine. She was willing to risk her life by naming Haman for the evil he had put over her people, this king's right-hand man, one who he trusted completely. Now, Haman who pleaded for the, his life at the feet of Esther, not the king. It's a bit of a strange twist in the story, twist of irony. Because what is he doing? He's, he's begging at the feet of a Jewish woman. This after seeking the death of a man, a Jewish man, who would not bow at his feet. We see Esther grow in confidence, in strength, 
and power throughout her story to the point where she is able to request that the ten bodies of Haman's sons be hung on the same gallows built by his father after the day of the massacre to send a message to all the people who oppose her people. The sweet, young, passive child is now the most powerful woman in the world, ruling with her husband and with her cousin Mordecai over the largest nation in the world, the most powerful nation in the world. Esther's legacy has spanned for thousands of years. Robert Gordas wrote this about her legacy. In the dark days before their deaths, Jewish inmates of Auschwitz, Dachau, Treblinka, and Bergen-Belsen wrote the book of Esther from memory and read it in secret on Purim. Both they and their brutal foes understood its message. This unforgettable book teaches that Jewish resistance to annihilation then as now represents the service of God and devotion to his cause. Esther has risen from a humble, submissive beginning to become an inspiration for Jewish people everywhere for all time, for thousands of years, even in their darkest days of the Holocaust. Even there, they find their hope in God through her story that he will do great and powerful things just like he did for Esther. What does the story of Esther say to you? How does the life of this young child who grows to be a powerful woman, how is she an inspiration to an entire nation of people? And how does it reflect how you see God in your own life? Esther shows us that even when God doesn't seem all that close, he is still at work behind the scenes, working through others to save his people. There's one big difference between Esther and those reality shows I talked about earlier, and that is God will even take the humble and the broken and use them to do great and wonderful things. Wherever you are in your life, whatever it is you do, let God lead you. Let him use you. As we pray every week, let him use you to bring his kingdom to this earth as it is in heaven. May we walk with God each and every single day, taking inspiration from the powerful, heroic women like Esther, whose story still inspires us today and tells us about the greatness of God, who is available to us, to you, now and forever. Amen.
Would you join me in a time of prayer? Let us pray. Lord, we, we thank you for the many blessings of life. We thank you that we live here in Canada in a peaceful time, in a peaceful place. We thank you, God, for the stories of inspiration that you have given to us, stories like Esther, stories like many other powerful and heroic people of the Bible. And we thank you that we're able to learn of their stories and, and see how it impacts our lives even today. Lord, may we see you at work in our lives as we see it in the work of so many others and so many stories that we read in our Bibles. Lord, we come and we offer our prayers for the concerns of this world. Lord, with the, with the announcement that here in our nation and even in our province, we're starting to see the relaxation of, of COVID protocols meant to protect one another, we pray, God, that we continue to seek to protect one another. Lord, we, we pray for those who feel vulnerable with these relaxed restrictions around gathering limits and masking and all the other things that are changing over the next few months. God, we protect for those who feel vulnerable, who feel that because of their health, their own personal health, they may never get to participate in, in society the same again. And so Lord, we lift them up to you. We ask you to protect them and watch over them and give them comfort and hope. Lord, we pray for, for protection of businesses and, and churches and other places as they slowly start to reopen themselves and reopen more and wider. We pray for our schools and our vulnerable children. Lord, we pray for everyone who's impacted by this virus, by this pandemic. And we pray for your guidance and we pray for protection and safety for everyone. Lord, we, we look at the news and, and we pray for an end to, to the protests that are just causing so much chaos in, in North America now and it's, it's increasingly around the world. Lord, we pray for those who protest in the name of freedom yet take away the freedom of, of others in their protests. Lord, we do indeed wish to be free but that true, true freedom that we seek can only be found in you. And so we pray for your intervention in this, in this conflict, in these situations. We pray for your protection and for those, for all who are involved, even the innocent bystanders. Lord, we just pray for an end and that understanding and peace would become the norm. And speaking of peace, oh God, we pray for the situation between Ukraine and Russia and, and the world uh, armies that are involved, the governments that are involved. Lord, we, we pray for peace in that area in that, of the world. We pray also for those who are, have maybe had health care-related appointments delayed because of the pandemic, for those who are waiting for tests, for those who are waiting for surgery. God, we pray that hospitals are able to manage the load which they find themselves under in these days. And we pray for resources, we pray for people, we pray, we pray for the sick, mostly, oh God.
And we give you thanks for the hardworking doctors and nurses and administrators and caregivers that are going above and beyond to help all those who come before them to the best of their ability. We thank you, O God, for their work. And may you bless them and give them rest. We pray for those who may still be recovering from last week's storm. Maybe they have power now, but maybe they lost freezers full of food or refrigerators full of food, O oh God. Maybe they can't afford to, to refill them. O oh God, we, we pray for anyone who is struggling in these days, in this cold of winter. We pray that they be warm. We pray that they be fed. We pray that they have what they need to get by day by day. Lord, we too lift up our hearts Lift our hearts to you and, and name those in our lives who are close to us that we wish to pray for this day. Lord, in your grace and your mercy, we know that you answer our prayers, and sometimes the answer to those prayers is that we do something. And so, God, we ask you to guide us, to be your servants, to take care of your people, to watch over those in need and to provide healing, hope, and comfort to all who need it. Lord, we lift all these prayers to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, the one who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
My friends, thank you for joining us in worship this day. May you know that God is with you wherever you are in your life, working in you and through you and through those who are around you to bring hope to God's broken people. Let us go now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God with us now and forever. Amen.